right. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here, and I hope the Lord will help us here tonight. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building tonight? I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, page number 1279, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And we're going to look again at these first seven verses. I promise you we're going to move on right after these, uh, this message tonight. We'll get out of these first seven verses. I think this is the third message from these seven verses, but I just, I can't, I can't help it. I've got to share one more thing with you here before we leave the opening verses of this, of this book. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 1,279, if you have an old Schofield Bible, all right? Thank you for being here. I was talking a minute ago about people not listening, and I know I've told you this before, but I don't like to hear me preach, but I do like to hear me tell jokes. And so I, I want to tell it again because it's just on my heart. But I heard about these three men. One was a preacher, one a deacon, and one a Sunday school teacher, and they were at church one Sunday, and it was deer season. So they made up their mind on that Monday morning that they were going to go out and go deer hunting. So they met at a restaurant, had breakfast, and then they got all out there in the field, got their guns out, and, and the sun was just getting ready to come up, and one said, well, I'll go here, and another said, I'll go there. And so they all got to their places, got up in their deer stands, and about the time they all got kind of set down up there and just kind of situated, a big old buck walked out of the thicket, and all three of them saw him at the same time. And all three of them took their rifles and aimed them at the, at the deer at the same time. And all three simultaneously pulled the trigger at the same time. So there was just this one loud, just boom. And that old deer just hit the ground. Well, they all skimmed out of the tree and took off running over there. And, and they all met about 10 yards where they got to the deer. And the preacher said, hey, did y'all see what I did? Did you see my deer? And that deacon said, your deer? That ain't your deer. That's my deer. And the Sunday school teacher said, y'all both are liars. That's not either one of y'all's deer. That's my deer. And so they got in a big fuss, and a, and a game warden happened to hear them fussing and walked over there where they were, and he said, boys, I mean, I heard y'all on the other side of the valley over there. What in the world are y'all fussing about? And one said, I'll tell you what I'm fussing about. That's my deer. The preacher did. And uh, Deacon said, no, it's my deer. And they just started out again. He said, whoa, 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 boys. He said, let me go look at the deer. He said, I'm a professional. I can tell you exactly whose deer it is. So he went over there and looked at the deer, and he came back and said, boys, it's the preacher's deer. They said, how do you know that? He said, because the shot went in one ear and out the other. So would you do this tonight? Hold your finger up like this and just stick it in your ear while I'm preaching. I, don't let this go in one ear and right out the other. Amen. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. Let me read these verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's just one sentence there. Verse 3, I thank God whom, I'm, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. Uh, night and day, greatly, Paul says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I, might be, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Boy, what good verses those are. And I want to kind of go back again. Verse 6 and verse 7 will be our message tonight, and it will take me a moment to get there. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. I pray and speak to our hearts tonight. And truly, Lord, may we listen tonight. May the Spirit of God, and I know people are tired, and Lord, they're already thinking about tomorrow, getting home, getting ready for tomorrow. And I get all that, but Lord, for just a moment, could we just just kind of set all that aside and let the Spirit of God as He chooses and pleases Him uh, to speak to us tonight and to help us about these matters that I want to talk about here tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think back a couple, three weeks ago now, I started a series of sermons from the uh, New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And I'm calling this series of sermons, I'm calling it a manual for maturity. The manual for maturity. You see, if there's one thing that God makes absolutely perfectly clear to those of us who are saved as His children, God makes it clear to us that He wants us to grow and mature in our walk with Him. That's the reason in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, but grow in grace and in knowledge, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a command. God commands us to grow in our spiritual walk, in our Christian life. As we come into God's family, we do so as babes in Christ. Regardless of what your age was when you got, when you got saved, you came into the family just like we came into our natural family. We were born into that family, and we come in not as full-grown adults, no, sir, we came in as newborn babes. And whether you were 70 or 80 or 90 years old when you got saved, when you were born into God's family, God looked at you as being a babe, a newborn babe in Christ. When we come into the family, we desire, according to 1 Peter 2 and verse number, is it verse 2, as newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the Word, the, the, the true Word, the pure Word that we may grow thereby. I mean, it starts off with the milk, the sincere milk of the Word of God. And that's the way we are when we come into our natural family. I had a bologna sandwich for supper. But when I came into the world, I guarantee you, at least I don't think she did, I don't think my mama fed me a bologna sandwich for my first meal when I came into this world. I think I probably got some milk. You know why? I couldn't digest bologna at that time. Now, now I like it a lot. Preacher steak. But uh, uh, baloney, I mean, you don't feed babies baloney. You start off with milk. And that's the way it is when we come into God's family. We come in as newborn babes desiring the milk of the Word of God. However, once we've been saved, God expects us to mature in our walk and our relationship with Him. You know something sad when a little baby's born into a, the fam to a family and that baby, because of some kind of abnormality, they never grow or they never mature into the person that, that an adult should be. We've all seen that before, tragically. And unfortunately, we've seen that. But I tell you what's more tragic is when a person gets saved by the grace of God and 30 years later they're still dwelling in the infancy stage of their relationship with God. Friend, I want to tell you something. If you've been saved, uh, I mean, for years, you ought to get out of the nursery. Hey, you ought to get off the passage. And you need to move on. If you've moved into God's family, you need to move on in God's family. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Salvation, that isn't all that God wants to do for you. 
Now, that'll get you to heaven, thank God, but that's not, that's the starting point. That's not the stopping place. There's so much more that God has for us in the family of God. Well, that's what this book is all about. It's time to grow up. Back in 1 Timothy, Timothy was a young preacher. Boy, he was struggling with all the problems of facing and pastoring an older congregation. He was struggling with all of his emotions. He was struggling with the ministry itself. But now as we come to 2 Timothy, he's an older man. He's a middle-aged man, and Paul is writing now on the basis of, of him being a mature believer in his faith. He is now no longer pastoring the church of Ephesus. He is doing some evangelistic work in and around the city of Ephesus. Now, if you'll go back, look at verse 1 and verse 2. We find what I want to call, number one, the people to whom this book was written. The people, the people of this book. In verse 1, we have Paul. He's the old man. He's the writer. Then we have, in verse 2, to Timothy. He's the young man. He's the reader. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, let me say this. Though Paul may be the writer, we know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the author of this book. I mean, he may have used the human instrument of the Apostle Paul, but we understand that the Spirit of God is the author of the Word of God. The Bible said that holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I believe, I believe with all my heart that the writers of the Bible, though they wrote according to their own personalities, I believe the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of their hand grabbed a hold of their head and grabbed a hold of their heart and they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the reason we say the Bible is God's Word. Hey, we don't, we're, I know we're reading the words of Paul here, but they're really the words of God through the Apostle Paul. So we have the people. There's the old man, the writer. The young man, the reader. But then there's the God-man who is the sinner. Three times in that opening sentence, Paul mentions the Lord Jesus. And by the way, I'll say it again, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Amen. If you read a chapter, read a page, and you don't see him, reread it. He's somewhere standing in there. I like the book of Esther. The book of Esther is the only book in our Bible that don't even mention the name of God. It don't mention the name of Jesus. It don't mention the name of God. It don't mention the, the Holy Spirit. But I tell you something, bless your heart, is there any more book in our Bible where God is more active than he is in the book of Esther? You see, the whole book, is the whole Bible is about Jesus. Amen. So we have the people. But then last week we jumped to verse 3 and we had the prayer. The prayer. Look again at verse 3. Paul begins, I think he just kind of bursts forth into praying, and he says this, I thank God. Now let me tell you something. Listen to me. He's praying for Timothy. And you've got to understand, Paul and Timothy had a very, very close relationship. Paul called him there in verse number 2. Paul called him my dearly beloved son. Now that isn't talking about a physical son. I think uh, most of us understand, according to the Bible, that old Paul never was even married. So Paul never had children. But he likens Timothy to being his son in faith. People that I win to God are actually my children, kind of, in the faith. They're my sons in the faith. I've now got grandchildren in the faith. I was preaching a revival meeting not too long ago, and this guy come up and said, Do you remember me? And I gave him the preacher's answer. Well, your face looks familiar. And so I gave him the preachers. And he said, uh, do you remember? And I said, I, yeah, you look familiar. He said, you remember my mom and daddy, don't you? And I, he called their name. And I led that man and his wife to the Lord when I was pastored down in the middle part of the state. I said, sure I do. He said, I'm their son. 
He said, it hadn't been too awful long ago I got saved. The Lord's called me to preach now, and I'm preaching the gospel. And I thought, you're one of my grandchildren. I got grandchildren in the faith now. I led his mom and his daddy to the Lord. Now he's, he's come along, gotten saved, and is preaching the Word of God. Well, Paul said, Timothy is my son in the faith. And he starts praying. By the way, look at this close relationship. Verse 3, Paul said, I just want to tell you, son, I pray for you night and day. Thank God for people who pray for you. Can I say again, if you want to do anything to help me, pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for my wife. Pray for us. Pray for me. I need your prayer. If you don't pray for me, shame on you. <laughs> really? I need your prayers. I really do. And uh, Paul said, hey, I'm praying for you at night and day. Then if you want to look down at verse number 4, boy, he said, I want to see you so bad. I have a great desire, Timothy, to see you. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, because when I see you, I'm filled with joy. Isn't it amazing that Timothy brought such joy to the heart of the Apostle Paul? I mean, what a special relationship. But then in verse 3, he starts praying for him, thanking God for two things about Timothy's life. Look again at verse number 4. He said, number one, I want to thank God for Timothy's tenderness. Look at verse number 4. He said, that, that being mindful of thy tears. Evidently, Timothy had a, had a tender heart. Boy, I tell you what, the curse of our day is people have got calloused hearts and hard hearts and their, their, their hearts are scabbed over. They've been hurt and they've scabbed over. And uh, we've lost our ability to cry, to, to, to shed tears. And Paul said, I, I think about Timothy, I want to thank God for his tenderness. Then he goes on in verse 5, says this, I want to thank God for his trueness. Look again at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, the sincere faith that is in thee. Boy, thank God for some true people. You know something? You're constantly, and I am, reminded of those in our churches who aren't true. I mean, when you witness to somebody, one of the responses that you'll get from them, well, what about so-and-so? I know so-and-so. Let me tell you this. They cuss like a sailor, drink like a fish, and I'm telling you, they say they're saved. They smoke weed, live immoral, and, and, and do all this stuff, and if they're saved, the woods is full. You know, they, they want to point out some bad example. But can I be honest with you and tell you this? For every one bad example that you can point out, I can point you about ten more good examples of what a child of God ought to be. I know there's hypocrites. I get it. Somebody not long ago sent me an anonymous email. How do you send? I still hadn't figured this. How do you send an anonymous email? But I got an anonymous email one Monday morning, and it went something like this. You have too many hypocrites in your church. If I could have, I would have emailed them back and said, do tell. There are hypocrites in the church. But can I tell you something? For every one of them, I can show you ten more that's just as true and sincere and try their best to walk with God. And let me remind everybody in this room of one thing. You're not going to have to answer for the hypocrites. You're going to have to answer for yourself. On Judgment Day, you won't be able to point out some hypocrite in the crowd. Well, God, it's their fault that I am where I am. No, sir. Buddy, you're going to be held accountable to God for nobody but your own self. Amen. And Paul said of Timothy, you've got a true you know something? That's what we ought to strive for in these last days. We ought to strive to be true. Amen. We ought to do our best to be true blue, to be sincere, to be unfeigned in our faith. All right? So we've got the people. We've got the prayer. Now we come to verse 6 and verse 7, and I'm going to call this, we got the faith.
the problems. Now, I told you this book is about maturity. It's about, hey, it's time to grow up. And it is time to move on. It's time for you to leave behind the immaturity of your faith and, and, and grow up and walk with God and do what's right. And that's the whole message, really, of this, of this entire book. Hey, grow up. But when we come to verse 6 and verse 7, I'm calling these the problems of maturity. All right? The problems of maturity. Because Timothy, according to verse 6 and verse 7, you may not have caught this, but I kind of, in verse 6, verse 7, and really in verse number 8 as well, I caught Timothy having some problems here. All right? And I'm calling these the problems of maturity because, listen to me, no matter how mature you get in your faith, you and I still have to face these two problems. All right? Let me give them to you. First of all, in verse number 6, I want to call this the problem of coldness. The problem of coldness. Now look at verse number 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance. Can I just stop and say, isn't it good to be reminded once in a while? What is that song says? Pull back the curtain every now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Hey, I'll tell you something, friend. I know, you know, we're deep and we want to move on and teach us some spiritual truth. But i got to tell you something. You can't get any more deeper and you can't get any more spiritual than God bringing you out of the pit of sin and putting you in His family. Boy, I tell you, that's pretty deep right there that God would love somebody like you and me and allow us to come into His family. And it's good just to be reminded of that every once in a while. Paul said, I just want to put you in remembrance. And then he said this, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now, what in the world? Where do I get coldness out of that? Well, I think what Paul is, is reminding Timothy is of a time when his heart was a flame and a fire for Jesus. And Paul is writing in verse number 6, when he mentions that putting on of my hands, I kind of got in my mind, I don't know what you get out of that, but I kind of put in my mind, got in my mind a picture of when Timothy was ordained for the ministry. Now, you may not understand how all that works, but uh, when somebody is ordained for the ministry, what happens is several preachers will get together and form a presbytery. And we get, what we do is when we ordain a young man around here, we get some preachers that have been preaching for a while that are settled and rooted and grounded in their faith. And we form a presbytery. Normally it's six, maybe seven, sometimes eight preachers. And what we do is the person that we're going to ordain will set them down in front of the presbytery. And that presbytery will go through and they'll question that candidate about various, uh, various uh, issues in his life, his beliefs, his, uh, his salvation, his call to preach, his, his, uh, his convictions as far as what he believes. And, and they question. Sometimes it goes pretty quick. Sometimes it takes a while. I've seen some that just barely passed, <laughs> I thought. I've seen some that I wasn't sure was going to make it because after the questioning part, the candidate is, is dismissed. He goes outside, and then the presbytery discusses whether they want to move forward with the ordination process. I've never seen anybody turned down, but I've saw a few that's just barely made it, Really? I've seen some that we've had to go back and kind of work with and help them along the way. And I think Paul, when he talks about, hey, remember, Timothy, remember when we ordained you how on fire you were, how aflame 
for the Lord Jesus you were. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 for just a moment. And here's kind of, I think, I think it goes along with this. 1 Timothy 4, Paul reminds Timothy, he says this, Neglect not, verse 14, the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Right after that man is ordained, the presbytery gets around him and they lay their hands on him. Now you say, preacher, boy, what are they doing? Transferring power? I probably not. But I do what I do think what we're doing is, is we're signifying our approval of this candidate for the ministry. Now I tell you this, if God's called him, he's already got heaven's approval. He don't need our approval. But it is a formality that we go through in the church. And I think again that Paul is just saying, Hey Timothy, remember when you were ordained how on fire? for Jesus that you really were. Then if you look again at, at 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, notice this phrase, stir up the gift. Notice that phrase, stir up. It is actually the picture. These two words actually mean rekindle the fire. I could read it like this, really, and I'm not changing the Bible, so don't think I am. But I mean the meaning of the words could go something like this. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the fire. Stir it up. You know, I think what Paul is saying is, Timothy, hey, think back to when you really used to be on fire for God. Think back when you used to really be a flame for God. Boy, Timothy, you ought to go back to that. Stir up those fires. Stir up those coals in your life. Hey, Timothy, get back on fire for the Lord. Can I stop and say this? Everybody ought to be on fire for Jesus. I know we mature in our faith. I get it. I know we, we grow up, but you know something? Many times we grow out of the enthusiasm and the excitement of being saved. We grow out of the, of the fire. You know, I always say this. Knowing Jesus ought to do three things for us. Number one, it ought to unite us. Number two, it ought to excite us. And number three, it ought to ignite us. Hey, can we stop and preach that for a while? Hey, when we know Jesus, hey, let's pull together. Let's be united. Hey, let's get excited. Jesus is worthy of our excitement. And unto God, let's get ignited. Let's get on fire. Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, hey, stir up the fire. We had a fire this afternoon, but this past weekend it finally got cold enough for us to have some, some fire. Now I worked myself to death during fire season at our house getting wood up about 15 steps up onto the back deck to carry it in the door and put it in the fireplace. I tell you, I'm getting sold about that. I told my wife the other day, we about to get gas logs at our house. But I love, don't you love a good wood fire? I think, I know y'all got gas logs, but I put my fire of wood up against your gas logs any day of the week. I know it's dirty, I know it's messy, but I tell you what, it sure is good heat. Amen. But I tell you what I found out about them fires is this. Even a good fire needs a little poking. A good fire needs a good poking every once in a while to stir it up. I mean, after a while, the flames die down, but you can take that old poker and get in there and start poking around just a little bit. First thing you know, the ashes are falling down, that fire is blazing right back up again. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Isn't it a sign? You know, the older we get in the Lord, it, it ought to seem like the more excited we get about the Lord. But isn't it a sign how many times that's not the case? 
When you got saved, you didn't know John 3.16. Now here you are 20 years on the other side of Calvary, and when you, get, when you think about John 16, <sighs> man, we ought to be more excited today than we've, than we've ever been. The older we get, the closer we ought to get, but in reality, the older we get, the colder we get. Am I right? We ought to stir it up, man. We ought to stir up the flames and, and get back to that place where, where our hearts are on fire for Jesus again. Let me ask you something. How on fire for God are you tonight? I know I'm preaching to the wrong crowd. I ought to preach this on Sunday morning. I know you're here. Thank you for being here. But maybe there's somebody here tonight and you're, you're a little bit cold on the Lord. I couldn't help but think about this. You know cold affects you, don't it? It affects your ears, don't it? I mean, it, it, it's get all red, man, it just gets cold. That tells me you don't hear when you get cold. It affects your hands when you get cold. They don't work good, so you can't reach back there and get your billfold. When it gets cold. Your feet, when your feet gets cold, you, and it's hard to walk, and you don't want to go, go soul winning when you get cold. Hey, what about this? When you get cold, you know what happens to you? You get sleepy. They tell me right before you freeze to death, you go off to sleep. Wake up. Cold affects your alertness. You go to sleep right before you freeze to death. I tell you what, I think many times in churches we come in and take our snoozes during service. You know why? We ain't as cold. We're not hot like we used to be. I mean, maturity ought to, ought to bring us closer and not bring us colder. The older we get, the Cold. Well, you know, here comes a new convert in and gets saved by the grace of God. I mean, he's on fire for God. I mean, he's sitting up front, got his Bible open. I mean, don't know, don't know the book of Noah from the book of Uzziah. I mean, has no idea that those are not even books in the Bible. Can't quote you a verse. But I know one thing. He knows this. He used to be blind, but now he sees. He used to be in the dark, but now he's in the light. Buddy, he knows a change has taken place in his life. And some old saint of God's been sitting here for 30 years will say, I used to be like that. He'll get over it. You know, it's a sight when a new convert has to backslide to get in fellowship with the rest of the church. I said it's a sight when a new convert has to backslide to get into fellowship with the rest of the church. You say, what's happened? Our fires died down. I'm telling you, the problem with, Tim with Timothy is, Timothy, you got a problem with coldness. Poke the fire. Stir it up. You say, preacher, that's your responsibility to keep us stirred up. I don't know about you, but i got enough problem keeping me stirred up, much less trying to keep you stirred up. You keep yourself stirred up. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Please, keep yourself stirred up. You stir you, I'll stir me, and somewhere, maybe one of these services will all get stirred up. But there's the problem of coldness. Do you see yourself as a mature believer tonight in a cold situation in your heart? I wrote this down. Listen to this. It is a contradiction to say that we have received a red-hot Savior and believed a red-hot gospel with an ice-cold life. Contradiction. There's the problem of coldness. Stir up. Hey, poke the fire. Stir the... Cause the fire to burn again. Well, I'll tell you, that's a message for all of us. 
the matter of coldness. But then come to verse 7, and I'm going to get done with this, and we're going to go. Not only the problem of coldness, but in verse 7, I put this down, the problem of boldness. The problem of boldness. I tell you, that's the second problem that mature believers face. We mature to the point that we get over the excitement of being saved and uh, we, we get beyond all of that and we lose that fire, that enthusiasm. I want to say again, it sure is a sight when a, backslide, a convert has to backslide to get in fellowship with the rest, to come back down to where we are. Boy, we ought not, he ought not come back down. We ought to go up there where he is. The problem of coldness, but the problem of boldness. Standing up for Jesus. Look at verse 7. Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, I just want to remind you that God's not given us the spirit of fear. Now, I've got to tell you something. Boldness was a real problem in young Timothy's life back in chapter, the, the book of 1 Timothy. Can I just, and, and it's five minutes till, and we're about ready to go, but would you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy for just a moment? Because I want to tell you something. Timothy really battled during the, his early days. He really battled being intimidated. He battled fear back in this first, uh, first book. If you will look down at verse 3, and Paul said of 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, he said, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. Now that word besought actually carries with it the ideas of to the point of tears. Evidently, Paul left Timothy there to, to pastor the church of Ephesus, but because of the problems that he was facing, Timothy wanted to leave. And Paul said, I had to beg you to stay there. You were fearful. You were intimidated. You, you lacked courage, and I had to beg you to stay there. Look on over in this same book, if you will. A little bit later in this same book, Paul is writing to him again. Look at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, where he said this, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. In other words, Timothy was so intimidated, he said, Hey, you don't have to take a back seat. Just because you're younger, hey, don't, don't, don't you be an example to those people there. He was intimidated. He was fearful. In chapter 5, and I'm not going to read the verse because I'm going to start a controversy here, but in chapter 5, Paul told Timothy, he said, I know you got physical problems. Uh, he evidently, he had ulcers. Evidently, his nerves, he was a wreck nerve-wise. He, uh, he, he was struggling physically. And Paul said, Timothy, this is not God's plan for your life. And so we come over to chapter 1 of, of 2 Timothy, and Paul just simply says, Timothy, I've got to tell you, God's not giving you that spirit of fear. Timothy, be bold in your faith. Paul reminds him that God is not the one who gives us fear. We know where fear comes from. Fear comes from the devil. The devil seeks to intimidate us. The devil seeks to make us afraid. Now, again, you picture a new believer. Here they come into the family of God. They're full of zeal and excitement, and they're telling everybody. They don't care who it is. They'll walk up to some guy and rides with the hell's angels with a beard down to here and tatted up and pierced up, carrying a gun on his side. They'll walk up to anybody and say, hey, would you read this when you get a chance right here? Well, I'm glad. Hey, I just want to tell you, Jesus could even save the hell's angels. Us mature believers sit back and say, he'll kill you, man. Isn't that a sight we grow beyond that boldness? Can I tell you something? Coldness is a problem. And boldness is a problem that we face as God's people. Hey, can I ask you something? How bold are you for Jesus? 
I, it would seem like to me the more we learn about Jesus, the more we love Him, the bolder we would become in our faith. I mean, man, just really bold, standing. And I'm not talking about being obnoxious or abrasive or rude or crude. I'm not talking about any of that. But I'm just talking about, man, hey, it is what it is. Here's where I stand. Uh, here's what the Bible says. Here's what, here's what the Word of God teaches. Hey, you need this. I, I'm talking about just being bold. And it seems like the more mature we become, the more quieter we become. When it ought to be just the opposite. Colder and bolder. Boy, those are some problems that we face as mature believers. And I think if everybody in this room tonight would be honest, you would say one word. Ouch. Because that's where we are. When we ought to be getting closer, we're getting colder. When we ought to be telling more, we're telling less. I mean, we're mature. We know what the Bible says. And we ought to be praying that God would help us to be on fire and to be bold for our faith. Can I have an amen? amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray tonight.